Hello and welcome back to An Evening with Nate. This is the second episode in the podcast and we are going to move on from where we left behind last time in the first episode. I've been saying that there will be a more organized structure and plan for this uh, for this podcast in the coming episodes. And I also took a second listen at the previous podcast, trying to improve, trying to know if there are points that I could clarify, if there are any technical aspects of the podcast that I could improve. Uh, one of them is the amount of pauses in between my words. Not only is English my second language, but... Um, at the time of the recording, I decided not to carry a script with me or, or a list or, a, a, or bullet points or anything of the sort. And as it turned out, uh, my mind is often uh, not quick enough to think about what to say on the spot. So as an improvement to that, on this episode, uh, I've made a few bullet points here of what I'm going to discuss and I hope that it comes out as well as it did in my head as I planned it out and wrote it down. So, for the next few episodes, and I can't confirm how many just yet, I have, I have a plan of going through major topics through several podcasts, I'm making a little bit of a of an in-depth discussion of, of an abstract topic and just breaking it down the way I like it. Now for the next uh, few podcasts, I'm going to go over what we call stories. The story. And it is one of the oldest inventions of mankind. Um, now I don't have the data with me, so I believe that the story is just about as old as language itself. And stories, along with, with language and, and, and art and all those things, are one of the things that distinguish us from animals. It really is an interesting thing how, as a species, we managed to use and discover language and take it to the next level. Now, why do we tell stories? Uh, it's, it's, it's very interesting because if you want to talk, you know, purely on a tactical level of survival, the time that we use to tell stories, to think about stories, could be used for other things that are more, quote-unquote, practical. Um, of course, this is when we're talking about uh, fictional stories. There are also stories where a series of events needed to be described in order to tell someone about what had occurred, to teach a certain lesson, to simply recount an event or stuff of the sort. But I'm, I really am going to focus on fiction for this episode, thus I name it The Allure of Fiction. Now, why do we go beyond reality? Why is it that we create all these worlds in our heads 
and some people manage to write it down, put it in a book, and influence millions through the world inside his head, through the world inside her head. We see works such as Star Wars, The Lord of the Rings, the entire Marvel Cinematic Universe. These things are made-up worlds, the brainchild of, of several talented authors, artists, writers, but at their core, they are ideas within a person's head, and somehow their influence, their stories are spread all over the world, and we even have people feeling sympathy for these made-up characters, and yes, I am guilty of that too. Now, why do we go beyond reality with our imagination? Well, an interesting, um, an interesting point someone told me was about the paradox of humanity. Now, I will not delve deep into personal beliefs, especially religion, but in discussing this topic, I would like to move forward with the basic premise and assumption that there is a soul. So if you are not a believer of such things, um, you can skip through this part or you can you know, listen to it and I, I respect uh, your opinion on souls or lack thereof. So I'm moving forward with the premise that humans have this thing called souls, an immaterial uh, life force, I guess, within someone, something that is beyond the natural order of this world, or supernatural, something that is not matter, that does not occupy space, and something that, um, that goes beyond the rules and logics of science. Now, the concept of soul is present in several religions so i hope that to most of you listening to this uh, this premise is acceptable now just as i said about how the soul is this transcendental uh, non-bound entity within us i believe that we all can agree on the point that our bodies are not unlimited. We are, as a species, limited by other species, by conditions, weather, environmental phenomenon, um, temperature, and, and other things of the sort. And, you know, as, as an existence we are limited by time and space and yet our souls and um, our minds are not limited you can think beyond of what you've seen and beyond of what you've learned there is no limit to how far you can imagine and think about something if you take the time to think about it. 
And I think that is why humanity as a whole, in terms of artistry and creation, we find we find the greatest of them being the glummest of them all, because they who who have experienced and who have traversed the the greatest of dense distances with their minds are the ones who are more and more aware of how finite life is and how limited we are in real time. And the more imaginative you are, the more discouragingly true uh, the facts are. Um, But not to end things on a depressing note, because through this unlimitedness, it brings forth imagination. And I would say it is one of the best things about being a human being. Now, through imagination, we have fiction. Fiction is very broadly defined as... An idea, I guess, of something that's not existent in real life. It is not how it went at the time that it should have gone. It, it did not go the way it did when it should have. It is a, a story that can occur at an alternate time bringing forth alternate moments in alternate places and spaces. This gives us the opportunity to explore new worlds completely different from our world, from our universe, and the laws of logic that withhold our universe will not be relevant in that universe should the imaginer not Uh, not determine things to be that way. Now, excuse my uh, roundabout way of talking, the complexity of it, but I'm hoping that you get the point to this point. And I believe fiction can bring forth a plethora of, of purposes and uses, advantages, disadvantages. But mainly, I've been observing three main uses of fiction. The first is to teach. The second is to entertain. And the third is to critique. One aspect is not exclusive of the other. And many works of fiction combines more than one of the three. Before I go forward with that, I would like to interlude with with an interesting point about the universality of fiction. It really is quite amazing how, despite the long distances between humans, the differences in race, ethnicity, geographical location, geological uh, landscapes, weather, climate, beliefs, religion, and whatnot, one of the most uh, persisting traits 
of a civilization and a culture is the existence of stories passed down from generation to generation. The creation, the consumption, and the enjoyment of fiction is deeply embedded within us as a society, as a civilization, as a culture, and I might say as a species. Now, going back to the three uses of fiction, I think that fiction has always been used to teach, and if you if you think about it, uh, perhaps your first encounter with fiction is one from when your parents tell you a bedtime story of sorts with a moral at the end of the story. Now, I'm not saying all fiction, fictional works are made for the sake of delivering a message or teaching something. I'm not saying that. I believe that there are creators out there who despise the idea that movies or books or something as simple as stories should have some sort of a a moral lesson behind them. Often newer artists or pure artists would like to make something purely for its aesthetic purely for its beauty. But you cannot deny um, that universally there's a lot of usage of fiction for for teaching a certain a certain belief, a certain code, a certain rule. And fiction is is really one of the best ways to do it because through fiction you can play out real life situations dilemmas but change it make benign violations in the laws of reality to wrap it up and make it a much more interesting experience now this might sound like something very complicated but fables essentially use the advantage of fiction to tell their stories. Something as simple as having animals talk is a benign violation of the laws of reality because we know that animals don't talk. By giving personification to animals, by giving a personality to these animals, um, children will be drawn to the story, it will engage their imagination uh, a factor of cuteness might, might might count as well. But, you know, aside from all that, what's for sure is the message is delivered. And this way, through creating characters to tell a story, then there is no need to, to mention anyone from real life or to corner anyone from real life when you're about to... To tell a story, isn't it a much better alternative to use Mr. Fox as a character who is supposed to teach you not to steal instead of uh, telling your children to memorize the story of, you know, 
Mr. Blah 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 the banker, Mr. Blah 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 the the financial uh, financial fraud. Little by little, fiction allows us to learn. It allows people to to pass down um, stuff they would like to pass down and teach. And I think that's been that's pretty clear. I guess I hope. Secondly, fiction as a medium of entertainment. I think it's pretty obvious. Um, we have very lively imaginations as humans, and when we see someone's world, someone's story, actually cohesively uh, made into a story. It really is a refreshing experience, especially if we can identify with aspects, parts, traits of the characters or the story. It's really quite an interesting thing. I think one of the most successful movies in that aspect would be the Marvel Cinematic Universe and um, its most recent movie, Endgame. Now you can say what you want. You can say that it is the end of cinema I don't care it is one of the most entertaining works in the history of movies and not only is it entertaining there is a lot of effort put into that sort of entertainment there is a lot of effort put into trying to make other people admire their world of fiction and that's amazing it's amazing how we are actually not only marveling, you know, the technical achievement of having all those effects in videos, but we are celebrating the facts that the ideas in someone's head from, from decades ago have finally found their way into the big screen animated with effects that we didn't think were possible. And this doesn't have to apply to... uh, This doesn't have to apply to blockbuster movies. Short stories. Jokes. They're all a form of fiction, if you think about it. Uh, You know... The chicken who crossed the road never existed. So did the man who walked into a bar. The skeleton who went to the party is a, is a non-existent being. They're all small little things that make your mind picture something that you would never see. And for that reason, it's funny. I don't know where I read this definition, where I watched this definition, but a professor, if I'm not mistaken, defined humor as a benign violation of expectations. Does that sound familiar? Yes, because I used the term uh, benign violation as well uh, bef- before. And I think it's It is impossible to separate fiction from humor because humor itself is a very weird part of humans and 
I do hope of discussing it at some point, but perhaps not yet. But humor is, is, is really great how our imagination enables us to laugh and how other people's imagination enable us to laugh, to enjoy, to be happy. It is absolutely fascinating how a narrative of things that has never existed would never exist in real life and would probably not affect you in any way at all give you a great time. Uh, finally and briefly, uh, fiction as a means of criticism is very similar to you know, fiction as a means of teaching, but instead of you know passing something down to those who are younger than you, this is a way of protesting those who are at a higher place than you, you know, perhaps positionally, politically, power-wise. And we see movies being used for criticism many times. Um, the interview was a comedy movie, but it was a it was a jab at Kim Jong-un. Um, Star Wars actually was was a was an anti-imperialist sort of message from George Lucas to to a time when the USA was very much involved in the Vietnam Wars. And I think it's 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 amazing and you know fiction is not the only way to go about it. Art and artists have always sort of represented this this consciousness of, the, of, of, of what people want. And it's always been used as media to criticize, you know, people in power who are starting to forget where they came from. And it's beautiful how stories can be used, whether it's in form of parody or a satire, how stories can be used to criticize those who aren't doing their job right. To criticize movements that that are ignorant of, of the world and the beauty and the diversity within the world. To criticize irresponsible individuals and all that stuff. Now, creating a financial... Uh, so I'm sorry, creating a fictional world is certainly difficult. It certainly takes a lot, and it's not something for everyone. But if you're listening to this, and you've been dreaming to write your own world, to write your own stuff, it's about time for you to try and sit down, pick up a pencil, and write it down. It took more than 10 years for... Uh, J.R.R. Tolkien to finish the Lord of the Rings trilogy and to this date it is celebrated as one of the best trilogies ever made in book or in movie one of the best fictional worlds ever created ever conceived and ever thought of now, I've mentioned him a lot and it goes to show my bias my admiration to him and he is one of my favorite 
favorite authors of all time. So do excuse my occasional fanboying. Now, I've mentioned about you know what fiction is for, but why do we consume fiction? Why do we have an addiction for stories? Well, who am I to tell you why you watch your favorite shows? One of the most obvious answers would certainly be for entertainment. For fun. Because I feel like watching it. But why do you feel like watching it? Why does it fill you up with great satisfaction when you watch a great episode of a show. Going back to my previous answer, you have to identify with a certain show's premise or character or plot or usage of tropes. It has to be something personal. A personal connection with something within the story that gives you satisfaction when you consume it. Sort of like how food goes. Everyone has taste and a certain aesthetic, a certain scene, a certain characterization, a certain dialogue will, ap- will appeal to your tastes and thus provide you with a level of satisfaction upon consuming it. That is one. Second is that you might be a fan of whatever form of fiction it is and consider it a serious form of art. Film geeks, uh, bookworms, otakus, whatever you call it. Why, Why do you enjoy, why do you enjoy that form of fiction? Because everything about it to you is fascinating. Because it encompasses something that goes beyond stories. Tells you about people. It tells you about a person, the creator. It tells you about worldviews and understanding. It tells you about beliefs. It tells you about history. There is so much to learn from events that have never happened and people who have never lived. That's the crazy part of it. And why else are you addicted to stories? Why do we like to hear about how events transpire at a time and place that might actually have never been there at all? Well, going back to my original point on our limitedness, we have a soul that can imagine where it wants to be. No limitation of length width, height, and yet we're stuck in this time. We're stuck with our reality and our mundane habits. It's a, it's a thrill, it's a shot of a thrill to hear about stories of great battles and, and epic sagas, because you know you'd never be involved in one. It's a, it's a great, great feeling 
to watch this beautiful fictional world because you know your jungle of concrete and bricks would never resemble a world of that sort. That's fine. I'm not supporting, you know, pure fictional escapism. But the facts are above the allures of fiction for us is how it strays from our reality. And that's perfectly fine. Now, I need to give a subtle nod to the Japanese fiction industry, especially I'm focusing on anime manga, uh, which I will explain in more detail in later episodes, much, much later, hopefully. Because they managed to... They managed to do something different from the American comic industry. Now, I am not saying that the American comic industry is not diverse, but as a consumer from outside of the country, and someone who's not from Japan, you know, as an Indonesian, I find myself very much dominated by Marvel and DC when I want to pick up a comic book. And those are the most prominent comic books sort of monopolizing the entire industry. And the creative direction they seem to take is this interconnected singular universe. And every time they want to make a different story, they basically take the same characters and put a multiverse stamp on it, call it another Earth. And you know, it, it gets it's a it's a great it's a great defense, it's a great you know, escape from boredom. Um, but that sort of storytelling it, it does get boring after a while. And you have all these different writers reinterpreting one character here and there and here and there. It's okay, it's cool, but you know, you'll have a retcon in every decade or so, and that's not exactly good, isn't that? Uh, on the contrary, the Japanese um, industry allows, you know, a single artist to create a single work with its own unique universe without having to have it uh, coexist or interconnect with other artists' universe. And each artist will create their own world, their own brainchild, their own character, and their own chain of events without being tied down with the previous events of previous comic artists have made. And that leaves us with diverse titles that are in no way connected to each other. They have different uh, laws of nature and reality different power systems, different political system, different world map, uh, different everything. You know, you could never hope for a Naruto One Piece collaboration because they're in different Earths. You can never hope for a One Piece Bleach combination because they're focusing on completely different things. And that's fine. Uh, Note that I've just mentioned, you know, the big three. There is a plethora of other works just waiting there, waiting to be discovered. 
Of course, a downside to it is perhaps that the movie industry will never see its Japanese Avengers or Japanese uh, Justice League. But then again, it's a win on its own because we'll have more movies about each independent, independent title, character, story arc, groups and villains and all that. And I think that's a very, that's a very, that's that's a good thing. That's a good job, uh, Japanese industry people. Good job. Um, as a side note, I do realize the ignorance in that. Um, and I will try to read more non-Marvel, non-DC uh, comic or graphic novel works for, for you know, America or, or England for that matter or, you know, whatever English-speaking country we have uh, on the ready. Um, I guess it covers it for this week. We, we did cover a lot of the, of the points I plan to cover and I'm glad for that. I hope this has been insightful, or at the very least, informative. And this has been An Evening with Nate, the Allure of Fiction. I wish to see you again on later episodes. Thank you very much.